I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. In today's opening, I break down President Big Joey's semi-weak sanctions on Russia, as well as I give you other breaking developments at the Ukraine border with Russia, which is, of course, the most important border to Americans. Not our southern border, not even our northern border, just, you know, Ukraine-Russia border. That's the one we're focused on yet again at the start of today's show. Uh, A major trucker convoy is finally here in the United States, and it should be on the move and uh, heading towards D.C. for the State of the Union address next week, which is really compelling, and we talk about that as well. The Biden administration is getting laser-focused right now on how we use derogatory terms in our geographic features in the Bureau of Land Management uh, and the Secretary of the Interior are going to be working hard on that, apparently. Uh, all that in the opening. Excellent guest today, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. We talk about the genocide games. We talk about the importance of the American heartland from whence he is from. The authoritarianism of Justin Trudeau gets a nice discussion. And of course, what Big Joey has gotten wrong about Putin and his take on Vladimir Zelensky, which is interesting as well. Emily Jashinsky joins us to talk about the culture. She is from the Federalist and also runs the a Young America Foundation affiliate National Journalism Center. I'm a part of that group and does great work there. We talk about how China has really destroyed the American movie business, and Twitter is even worse than you thought. Our woke celebrities are also worse, and the right is now, I officially, in my opinion, completely falling asleep at the switch when it comes to creating our own cultural alternatives. But at least Joe Scarborough has blonde hair now. We talk about that in the interview as well. Oh, yeah, and another Chet Hanks mention. Chet Hanks is one of the most frequently name-checked people now on the show. Uh, Tom Hanks is a younger son. So uh, that comes up in the broadcast. But first, a word from our sponsors. we begin with the fake news or the real news? I mean, I guess we'll begin with the fake news um, because it is turning into slightly real news. The world is trying to push back on Vladimir Putin and his moving of troops around areas in Ukraine that are controlled by Vladimir Putin. And it started yesterday, kind of right around the showtime yesterday, where Germany uh, announced they were going to shut down production of the uh, Nord Stream 2 natural gas pipeline for a little bit. And it kind of was a suggestion that this is something that could be pretty easily reversed. But the gesture is uh, designed to push back on Putin to a certain degree. But the thing that I said on the show yesterday, which I think having had um, 24 hours to reflect on, I think my natural reaction is still my reaction now, which is I'm concerned that this is going to be a bigger deal for Europe than it's going to be for Putin. And playing wars of attrition with guys like Putin are not exactly, I think, great strategy. Um, But the German Chancellor Scholz, he blocked approval for Russia's Nord Stream 2 pipeline um, due to Putin's moving around in uh, Ukraine. And the problem, though, is that I think Germany does need that gas from the pipeline as much as Putin needs to sell the gas to Germany. So I think it's an interesting move that probably will not work. I mean, it, it is, it's hard to tell who needs what more. But when you are doing something where you're asking your own peoples to suffer and you can reverse it at any moment, I don't know exactly how severe of a signal that sends to Putin. I think it's probably uh, very, very mild. I think it's a very mild signal that's sent to Putin. Likewise, uh, President Big Joey, a.k.a. Joey the Biden, sanctioned Russia. And he sanctioned Russia on things that have nothing to do with energy production and nothing to do with oil and natural gas. So again, another gesture that just seems like a half measure. Um, He did something. I think that's probably better than doing nothing. I want to be fair to Big Joey. But he said yesterday that he needed to do something in order to defend freedom. So in order to defend freedom he will uh, have some uh, actions on Putin. But the problem is, is this is going to have an economic cost on y'all. And that's a risky thing for Joey the Biden to do because Joey the Biden's approval 
is you know in the 30s in just about every poll, maybe low 40s in some polls. John Nolte and I discussed this on yesterday's broadcast as well, though I like to plug the new podcast, um, which you've all been supporting, which I like, that was not on the podcast. So you have to get the SXM app if you want to hear that interview. And I think you do. Uh, Nolte points out accurately that unlike with Trump, where the media was trying their hardest to push Trump um, in a negative direction and try to convince the world that Trump was horrible, uh, this is one where the media is trying to convince you that Biden's not so bad and his approval is still that low, which is a pretty interesting point. Also in that interview with Nolte, we did talk about uh, Andrew Cuomo's daughter who is selling uh, a yoni art. If you don't know what that means, I will not explain it yet. Maybe later. But you'll, have to, you'll have to check out the show. You want that? Oh my gosh! Um, I the, is the it is a crack up when you figure out what that is, and maybe it'll make it harder for Andrew Cuomo to have a return. Anyway, I'm a, a major digression. Back on task to the task at hand, which is the fake news coming out of Europe. So you've got this uh, a big Joey who is going to sanction Russia, but not directly in the area that I think could hit Russia the hardest, which is energy and um, uh, which is energy production. What's curious about this is that Biden said flat out that this will have costs for all of you and that he wants to limit the pain for the American people that they are feeling at the gas pump. But he says, I got to be honest, not a joke. He says in order to defend freedom, his words, not mine, that we need to be honest about that, that Americans will pay more at the gas pump which has already spiked since Big Joey took a victory lap on the gas prices coming down 2% after going up a dollar. Maybe it wasn't even a full 2%, maybe it was more like two cents. But basically they had gone up a dollar already and then they went down about 2% and then uh, now all of a sudden they're set to spike again. Why? Because we need to make a big statement on behalf of territories that have been long been under dispute in Ukraine. And I think is as is the global consensus, we all feel bad for the Ukrainian people if Russia continues its aggression. And we'd all prefer if Russia would stop its aggression. But how much uh, do we need to do you and I need to suffer at the gas pump over this stuff? I don't know. Not to mention the semi fecklessness nature of the Joe Biden pushback sends a pretty crystal signal to Putin that this can be flipped at any second. And again, I don't know if this is, if you fight wars of attrition like this with dictators who are better at wielding power than we are, particularly our current president. I mean, he's got the tiger by the tail, so to speak, as noted also on yesterday's broadcast that Russia presided over a UN Security Council meeting, um, which was about Russian aggression. The, the, The globalist experiment is a colossal embarrassment to everyone. There is rarely an example where the globalist experiment does not embarrass itself over and over again. This is, I think, the the thing that is uh, that is going to play out over the next couple of days, and you have to be, I think, living in a semi dream world if you're going to be convinced that this is going to end um, as a President Big Joey intends. President Trump slam Biden for losing to Putin. He said weak sanctions are insignificant and he moved very quick on the statement. And I think that this was a, a pretty no, pretty much a no-brainer for Trump, but uh, good for him for jumping in on this. He says, quote, if properly handled, there's absolutely no reason that the situation currently happening in Ukraine should have happened at all. I know Vladimir Putin very well and he would have never done during the Trump administration what he's doing now. No way. All good points by President Trump. Who knew he was going to be on the show today? Unbelievable. Russia has become very, very rich during the Biden administration with oil prices doubling and soon to be tripling and quadrupling. The weak sanctions are insignificant relative to taking over a country and a massive piece of strategically located land. Now it has begun Oil prices are going higher and higher, and Putin is not only getting what he always wanted, but getting, because of the oil and gas surge, richer and richer. Uh, exactly right, and I think a better move would be just drilling here. I think that'd be a better move, but why would we make good moves? I mean, that could really tick off Al Gore. Could really tick off uh, St. Greta Thunberry. 
Is that her name? Who cares? So uh, anyway, this is just all a massive distraction. And I think um, now we're seeing navies kind of move around the Mediterranean Sea. NATO jets are on higher alert. It is something that the media is relentlessly pushing that we are on the brink of global war. And if we don't get there, we're going to have to see this framed as a world war. I'm sorry, Cold War II. Cold War II will be the way the media has framed it. They love this conversation. And we all have to be a part of it. And I know what's going to go on around your water course. There'll be a lot of Ukraine talk tonight. And that's why I start with that instead of stuff I'm much more interested in. Among the things I'm more interested in, for number one, is the Freedom Convoy that does finally appear to be heading to, into the United States. We had an exclusive story from Brecken Thieves at Breitbart yesterday that the USA's People's Convoy is set to roll on Wednesday. Hey, that's today. Seeing that Biden fears the American people. Let freedom roll is the slogan of the People's Convoy. It's going to leave Adelanto, California. I'm a California resident. I don't know where Adelanto is. And it will head towards Washington, D.C. to protest uh, federal coronavirus mandates and call for the end of President Big Joey Biden's emergency declaration. Convoy organizers Marcus Summers and Marine Steel told us at Breitbart that they are uh, planned to be peaceful in their transcontinental movement in order to defend our freedom at a time when, quote, our freedom is on the line and tyranny is closing in. Exactly right. This is already going to be used as a cudgel by the authoritarians to beat down the freedom-loving people in our country. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin spelled with two L's. L-L-O-Y-D. That's how you spell Lloyd, in case you didn't know. He approved 700 National Guard troops already. So they're ready to go. How many National Guard members are with Lloyd Austin versus the truckers who are just sick of the coronavirus? and sick of the lies and sick of the mandates. 38,000 in all in the trucker convoy headed towards DC from the uh, apparently the Los Angeles area. Even more odd. Adelanto's in the Los Angeles area? Interesting. There is some trivia. Um, and they are headed towards DC and the goal is to arrive on March the 1st, which is the State of the Union address. Big day, March the 1st. It'll also be the 10-year anniversary of the passing of Andrew Breitbart, our founder and namesake. So that will be a big, it'll be a big week next week um, on Breitbart News Daily and at Breitbart.com in general because we'll have some big tributes for Andrew, which we've already been uh, preparing for the last couple of months. So all that to come. So I will plug, plug, plug away. You're not going to want to miss next week's shows. And you'll probably see some of your favorite Breitbarters popping up on other uh, media outlets that you enjoy. Because that is the goal is to get the word out about our founder, Andrew, that's coming up. It's kind of where my mind's been the last few days. Uh, and it's been a, it's been very timely with all the, the where as, as we still have slipped back into a mode where the establishment media can still periodically control what we're talking about versus what's really affecting Americans. Minor territorial disputes in Far Eastern Europe. That is what is affecting you all. Just know that. That's what, that's what you care about most. And if you disagree, well, huh, I mean, you ought to listen to what's going on on CNN and MSNBC and even Fox News. Ontario Freedom Convoy donors were published on Google Maps. This was a shocking one that Paul Bois wrote for us at Breitbart. Location of the Freedom Convoy donors in Ontario, Canada have been published on Google, Google Maps after the names of those who gave money to the crowdfunding platform Give, Send, Go were leaked online. The Google, Google Maps link contains thousands of pins pointing to locations of donors throughout the Canadian province, with each pin listing the names, donor ID, email address, and even the amount that they donated as low as $10. I'm reluctant to even report this to you because we are entering a world where if you are a individual who is inclined to help people doing good works, then you will be outed in all likelihood at some point and you will need to deal with the consequences. And this is something that I, I'm contacted all the time from citizens 
who we will interview at Breitbart News and who will enthusiastically grant us permission to use their name and likeness in order to create our news content. They will gleefully, in some cases, speak to the camera all fired up, and then they will go back to work, and someone will have seen it, and it will cause a problem for them, and then they will reach out and say, hey, I take it back. Because people are scared. People are afraid. People are also weenuses, and I will uh, add that too. It is a time for bravery, and we have not fostered that uh, that that approach to life. As my pal Dennis Prager says, it is the rarest of the good traits is bravery. And so you got to chickadee check yourself before you wreck yourself in that regard in your personal life, particularly parents out there. Because it is one that is not emphasized enough the importance of it. But you, spend, you give $10 and you run the risk of getting outed. Google Maps, hackers. And of course, this stuff can get posted online because the anti-hacking policies tend to apply much more to crackhead sons of presidents of the United States and not normal law-abiding citizens. Back to the Freedom Convoy for a moment. Nancy Pelosi's office is closely monitoring the trucker convoy. I like that. Taking this very seriously. We are monitoring the situation closely, but defer to the USCP, which is in charge of security. Pelosi's already afraid of the grave threat. Watch for the next news cycle of the media overreacting to the threat of the convoy, which, of course, will largely, if not entirely, be peaceful. Horrifying headline, a a survey suggesting the majority of Democrats support Justin Trudeau's crackdown on the Freedom Convoy protesters. Hannah Blau writes for us at Breitbart News that most Americans do disagree with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, but a majority of Democrats support its crackdown, according to the Trafalgar Group survey that was released yesterday. 55.4, I'm sorry, 55.3% total disapprove, 35% approve, but 65% of Democrats like it. 75% of independents disapprove. Does that number surprise you? The 65% of Democrats like the idea of the prime minister or the president usurping power because of peaceful, otherwise law-abiding, for the most part, citizens are protesting with their trucks. The same people who thought you were racist if you didn't think Black Lives Matter should burn down buildings in the middle of our streets or shut down our stores. Still, a surreal moment of my life was living near Georgetown, just across the Potomac from Georgetown during the Black Lives Matter riots, watching all the stores get boarded up. The few stores that weren't boarded up get um, robbed and looted, window smashed, and have almost the entire South media act like it was not happening. Even for someone who literally wrote a book on how horrible the media is. Call breaking the news, by the way. I think more important now than ever. To witness that happen and have no one act like it was a problem. Because they were so afraid of being perceived as racist. And now you've got some truckers, mixed race. I'm sure a lot of them are white people. You know, Canada and all. Pretty white place. These people are, um, the, the government crackdown on those individuals is supported by two-thirds Democrats. That's what I'm talking about when I'm saying the left has taken over the Democrat Party. And it's not progressive, it's not liberal, it is leftist. And that's very scary because the left cracks down on freedoms. They don't support freedoms. Liberals tend to like freedoms. Some freedoms you and I might not like, like abortions but they tend to overall be pro-freedom, overall. Left is not. The left is pro-censorship, the left is, is pro-control, and they like to come up with ways to usurp power. And by the way, speaking of the media, I, I mean, I could not resist mentioning Eugene Robinson, who's kind of a caricature, who's a Washington Post columnist, who has said that Putin wishes Trump were around because Biden's so tough. Uh, is there one person on earth who believes that? I don't think Joe Biden believes that if you pinned him down. All right, maybe Joe Biden. Hunter Biden doesn't, though. Hunter's too smart for that. 
One Canadian member of parliament, someone named Yara Sachs, said honk honk, meaning from the trucker protest, is an acronym for Heil Hitler. Not a joke. This is a pro-Trudeau member of parliament. She's not joking, right? She honestly thinks this is that's a, a good way. I mean, honking your horn is literally Hitler. I, you can only say that if you're so bubbled. I mean, I'm almost jealous. I mean, I wish I was so bubbled that I could publicly make proclamations like that. They're so ridiculously absurd. To give you a sense of what's preoccupying the American left right now, the Washington Times is a story on how there's a proposal to scrub der- a, a derogatory term targets for hundreds of U.S. sites. Words like squaw. Federal officials, according to the Times, have come up with a list of potential replacement names for hundreds of geographic features in three dozen states that include the word squaw. U.S. Interior Secretary Deb Holland is working on this personally. Consider, consideration of these replacements is a big step forward in our efforts to remove derogatory terms whose expiration dates are long overdue throughout the process. Broad engagement with tribes, stakeholders, and the general public will help us advance our goals of equity and inclusion. Wow. I throw it out there as I so often do. If you are a Native American or an American Indian, whatever is your preferred term, an indigenous peoples, a BIPOC, do you think that this will uh, solve our uh, a, a one single problem? Will this make anyone's life better if we target derogatory terms in our geography? I think we all know the answer to that one. The answer is no. Anything will make our life better other than this. This is why I hate our media so much. Is that people should start saying, are you guys taking crazy pills? Are you guys insane? Gas is already up over a dollar under Big Joey and it's going up more. The Biden inflation is making Americans on average 7, 8% poor. 300 bucks a month for the average family. No one trusts Biden to handle potential war, Cold War in Europe. The border's open, maybe the worst ever. This is what you guys are working on? Don't spend one penny on this. Do not spend one penny on this effort. But we're no longer a... the, The problem is I feel like we no longer believe in America to a certain degree. Let's go to a break. We'll come back on Breitbart News Daily. get into it with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who was Secretary of State under President Trump and has got just about the richest background of any American in public life. When it comes to public service, let's hear from him. Mr. Secretary, great to have you back on the broadcast. Before I get into international news with you, I know you're headed to Iowa today for the Bastion Institute's inaugural panel. You'll be with uh, Joni Ernst, friend of the show, Senator from Iowa, as well as Ambassador and former Governor Terry Branstad. Uh, What are you going to do there and what do we need to know about it? Well, thanks for having me back on this morning. It's great to be with you. Uh, we're going to be now we're talking about the things that matter to America from a national security perspective and, frankly, how America's economy is at the center of American power. Uh, when we were when we were in office for four years, uh, we delivered a, a robust economy. And as a secretary of state, I was enormous beneficiary of that. We were able to increase American prosperity and security because we had an economy at home that was strong. We were ready to ship our energy across the world. You can see how that matters even today. We're going to talk about that in a serious way and explain how these things around the world matter to people in states like Iowa and my home state of Kansas as well. Uh, It is an interesting moment to be in the heartland right now because it does feel like a lot of the time we are focused on Washington, we're focused on uh, far-flung regions halfway around the world. Uh, But ultimately, the backbone of our country is our heartland, and I think sometimes the more we talk about things that are happening that are only remotely affect us around the world, we do lose sight of some of the core heartland issues. 
Uh, could you expand on this topic a little bit and perhaps talk about Iowa in particular? Because it just does seem like we come back to Iowa over and over again as just the uh, as an example, as a representative of what the American heartland is all about. This is near and dear to my heart in that um, I'm from Wichita. We have some of the same sets of issues that right? we, we make stuff in Kansas and Iowa and we grow stuff in Kansas and Iowa. And so if you just think about these conflicts in places where the Chinese Communist Party has been rolling us for decades, no no yeah. president before President Trump, no secretary of state before me was prepared to actually call the Chinese Communist Party out. Gosh, lots of jobs, uh, hardworking people in Iowa lose their jobs because some ag tech company's intellectual property gets stolen, and we just say, gosh darn it, don't, don't do that again. That's just unacceptable. You take something like what's happening in Ukraine, it seems like a long ways away for a lot of people. But as an example, 30% of all the red winter wheat, this is the core feedstock for a lot of food items in America, come from Russia and Ukraine, and they travel through this sea called the Sea of Azov. We're going to have higher food prices here, and you, wow. you can begin to see that already. Uh, and we, we all know the energy story. President Biden made the enormous mistake of shutting down American energy, something that matters to the uh, farmers in Iowa an awful lot is the cost of fertilizer. When the cost of natural gas prices skyrocket, the cost of fertilizer skyrockets, and that means their products are less competitive around the world. These, these, are, these are things, the real things, they seem distant, but the connectivity in the world today is real, and it's why we, we, we ought not send our soldiers, our, our young kids, to go fight in these places. But we ought to be strong supporters of people across the world who are trying to just secure their own sovereignty and create stability in their little neck of the woods. Uh, Mr. Secretary, I think I'm going to go a little bit backwards in the interview because I want to get your take on a couple of quick ones before we spend time on Ukraine and Russia, which I think is what the audience is probably most interested in. Uh, first, give me your assessment of what's happening in Canada, uh, which is somewhat shocking to me to see the authoritarianism, even though there's no more uh, of these trucker convoys. The people in the convoys were smeared as Nazis and violent. They were not Nazis. They were not violent. And the usurpation of power by the uh, by the party in power there was, I think, frankly, somewhat shocking. Even those of us who follow Justin Trudeau's career and know he's an acolyte of China and the CCP. Uh, and even the support he has had here by the establishment media in America and some Democrats. Um, what is your assessment watching from afar? It's been pretty shocking to watch them invoke this series of emergency acts. I, I know I know, Prime Minister Trudeau. I know his deputy woman named Christia Freeland, who's kind of been out in front on this, too. The lengths that they have taken to use this law to undermine the right of people just to simply go out and demand the things that matter to their families, to their livelihoods, right? Remember, we forget what this all begins about, right? It's requiring people sitting in a cab of a truck who drive thousands of miles and see no one to be vaccinated. Absolutely. <laughs> first idea. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's not scientific. It's deeply political. And to watch, right? It, it, it reminds us how important our Constitution is as well. They don't have one. They don't have a First Amendment. Uh, it reminds us how dear these things are and how much we have to protect them. And, Alex, you know, we saw some of this and are seeing some of this in our own political system. We shouldn't forget we had governments shut down churches and synagogues and let bars stay open. This is this is not something that is just on the other side of the border. So while what Trudeau has done is unconscionable, we need to make sure that here at home we don't permit authoritarian leaders here to take those same kinds of actions. Uh, but still, we do in some ways. It's just a lighter version of it. Uh, I, I, again, we don't have people here that are getting a stomp on by, um, you know, mounted police. But we do have still there will be three year olds who will be sent to daycare today and to preschool with masks on. Whereas we watched what the mayor of Los Angeles and the governor of California and uh, all, all the celebrities with the way they were at the Super Bowl unmasked and cuddling with each other in front of the cameras. Uh, it, it's this is one of our deep concerns on the show is that there is an oligarchic class that seems to be emerging worldwide and they have a different set of rules that apply to them I mean you've seen this firsthand from inside Washington from basically every corner from you know the CIA to the Congress to the uh, secretary to being secretary of state I, I know we've spoken about this privately but this is this is one of the big problems that have faced us that, that faces us now there's no doubt about that there's no doubt about that that there has become a, a progressive elite and, and frankly some in the business community as well uh, some of our biggest institutions have, have left the central understandings of who we are as a people and what our nation is as a country. Uh, you, you see it in, in little ways. The, 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 the mass for kids, again, 
I always go back to what, what's the science say? How do we keep how do we keep our sure. people healthy? How do we keep people safe? And how do we protect our freedom so that parents can make the right choices for their own children? Both of those issues are being violated at the most fundamental levels. And then our elites travel the world and behave in ways that are deeply inconsistent with that. It's, it's, it's worse than hypocrisy because it's deeply damaging to the fabric of our country. Uh, let me ask you about the Beijing Olympics that have just wrapped up, the genocide games. We refer to them at Breitbart. Uh, do you think the Americans should have participated? And if so, uh, how do you think it went for us? Uh, and kind of evaluate the American corporations, their involvement in it. NBC, Comcast, Universal in particular comes to mind. Uh, any thoughts on the Beijing games? Oh, almost a year ago, I began to ask the administration to demand that the IOC not send our young kids to Beijing. And then they allowed them to travel to the Chinese Communist Party to participate in the Genocide Olympics and said, but don't take your phones, take a burner phone and be careful. They'll listen to every single word you say. And I'm confident sure. that they did. Those are recorded for all eternity in the files of the Chinese military. And I'm sure they captured their DNA and their facial recognition. This was this was a catastrophe to allow Xi Jinping to have this global stage. Uh, the good news was, I think the, nobody watched the Olympics. That, that that heartens me. It says that the American people get it in ways that corporate America does not. And uh, I, I didn't watch any of it, but I'm told NBC just about ignored the horrific yes. activities of the Chinese Communist Party, the forced sterilization, the treatment of the Uyghurs, the destruction of Hong Kong. And that, that tells you all you need to know about what uh, corporate America thinks of protecting the dignity of every human being. I, I, I regret that the IOC did what they did because it hurt the Olympic movement, which I love dearly. I love the Olympics. I got sure, to Carl Lewis run in L.A. when I was a kid. Uh, we, we can do better. America must do better. And it's just so unfortunate we had our young people go there. It sounds like everybody got home. That's great. I was worried about that. But it's a travesty to permit China to ha hold an Olympic Games. Yeah, and I did just want to put one idea in your head because this has been an area of deep research for me. Uh, I wrote a book on this called Breaking the News where I, I kind of came to the conclusion or I did come to the conclusion that with the media apparati of some of these international corporations like NBC News, for example, uh, is really sort of the Walmart reader for massive conglomerates like NBC, Comcast, Universal. And even though they ignored the the even though they ignored the atrocities they still served their purpose even if the ratings were bad because it just meant all of this time was not spent pointing out that those who do massive amounts of international business within China are part of the problem. And that to me is, even though Americans tuned out, that's inefficient, that's insufficient to me. There needs to be a much more robust effort to expose the genocide, the censorship, um, the oppression of women, the oppression of blacks, the oppression of Muslims uh, of the Chinese Communist Party, not to mention the pandemic we're still in, Secretary. Alex, I, I both read the book and agree with you in its entirety. It's it's one thing for people to tune out. We all have a responsibility to push back against the Chinese Communist Party. This is this is the challenge of this next hundred years, and we have to start today. And again, we we opened this interview talking about how that seems a long ways away. These folks are inside the gates. Um, I yes, closed the consulate. I, I directed the closure of the Chinese consulate used in Texas because it was operating one of the largest spy rings in American history. They are here. It's impacting our universities and colleges. They're, they're here. It's impacting our school systems, K through 12. We have to confront the Chinese Communist Party and its atrocities everywhere and always. And when we do, we'll prevail. But if we don't, our kids and grandkids will live in a society that looks a lot more like theirs than ours. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is with me. He'll be tonight at the Bastion Institute's inaugural panel in Des Moines uh, with Senator Ernst and Ambassador Brandstad. Okay, let's get to it. Ukraine and Russia. First of all, give me your 30,000 foot, and then I have a ton of specifics in the time we've remaining. 30,000 foot is that this is an enormous failure of American leadership. Uh, people ask me, Mike, would this have happened if you were still the Secretary of State? And uh, well, I can't prove that, Alex, um, it seems unfathomable that it would have happened. Uh, my best evidence is that for four years, Vladimir Putin was the same human being that he is today, and he didn't do this. <laughs> what changed? What changed is the global view of America as a country of decency and strength and the willingness to promote sovereign borders wherever we could assist. Uh, and Putin saw weakness. He saw what happened in Afghanistan, not only the debacle of the departure, but the 13 Americans that were killed there. He saw that um, from his soil, uh, American pipeline shut down, southeast gas lines shut down, and uh, President Biden meets him and just wags the finger. He saw opportunity come with his deep desire to rebuild a security zone around his own country. 
And he said, I believe I can do this and the cost to me will be exceedingly low. And so far, I fear he's been proven correct. So let me ask you about it. Can you evaluate the your personal? I want your personal assessment of Vladimir Zelensky. Is he an oligarch uh, like Poroshenko and Yanukovych, or is he someone who is perhaps um, a more, more credible here? Where do you see his role in all this? Zelensky is trying. He is trying to build out a more democratic Ukraine. It is it is problematic. There are oligarchs there. There is corruption in Ukraine. Those things those things are all true. Um, but my sense of Vladimir Zelensky is he joined and you know, he, he didn't come out of politics. He came out of a different space and he is legitimately trying to build a freer, more prosperous, more capitalist, Western facing, European, American facing Ukraine than his predecessors were. And it is a, a tough slog. And now Vladimir Putin saw that he was beginning to make progress to turn Ukraine to Europe, to the West. And Putin wanted none of that. And so this is part and parcel of what he saw happening in Ukraine under the leadership of Zelensky. Uh, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, there's been a stay on it, which is, again, it was not functional yet, but it was, uh, of course, there are high hopes for it in that region. Germany's shut that down for the time being. Uh, evaluate this move. Who is affected by it most? Nord Stream 2 will most directly affect the German people. It's why they fought so hard to have that pipeline built. And it was an enormous mistake for them uh, to allow yourself to become dependent on Vladimir Putin and Russia for a significant amount of your energy. It would have probably ended up being over half of German natural gas would have come from the Russians. Puts you in precisely the place you find today is that you have to bend to the bend a knee to a person like Vladimir Putin. Uh, it'll impact us all uh, if the pipeline continues to be shut down. And American energy continues to be shut down. We, we do not have to have the high natural gas prices and high gasoline prices we're seeing today. This is a conscious decision that Biden administration has used to climate change as their talisman, as their, their holy grail to close off millions of American jobs and lots of American wealth and low gasoline prices for the American people. Don't let President Biden tell you that this is because of the war. This is because the United States has chosen not to produce its own affordable energy for the United States and then export it to the rest of the world as well. If President Biden wants to bring down energy prices, what is your one or two or three step plan for him? Uh, allow pipelines to be built, approve the permits, stop telling these energy companies they can't drill on federal lands, and tell the energy industry you are free to accept investment from Wall Street. The, the Wall Street folks are afraid because of these crazy ESG rules. Uh, so they sure. say, you know what, you're not going to invest in fossil fuels, and so, so capital isn't available to grow this energy. We produced 13.1 million barrels per day of crude oil during the Trump administration. I think today it's 10 and a half or 11. Go put those 2 million barrels of oil back on the market and you will see gasoline prices fall immediately. He doesn't need Congress. He doesn't need anything. He can do it in the whip of a pen. The messaging coming out of the White House right now from both uh, President Biden and from Vice President Harris is that Americans will have to suffer more because of what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. Is this some level of theater or you, do you anticipate that there will be more suffering for Americans around their kitchen tables? It's up to them. It, they, they, are, they are not the victims here. <laughs> That's the, 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 the terrible thing of what their messaging is. Hey, there's nothing we can do about this. Uh, President Biden, President Harris, we're, we're the victims. No, America's not the victims. There doesn't need to be more suffering here. We can both support Ukraine and the sovereign defense of a nation state and have affordable energy and affordable food. It just means doing the right thing. They're, they're not going to open up American energy, Alex. Let's be honest. They're not, they're yes. not going to do that because the progressive left isn't going to permit them to allow that to happen. And so we'll, they'll sit here and stare at each other and try and convince the American people this is because of Vladimir Putin. Uh, Vladimir Putin's a bad guy. Uh, we should push back against him, but the problems at home are a direct result of decisions that the Biden administration has made. So President Biden has started to push back against Putin as of yesterday, as we're uh, having this conversation with some sanctions. They seem to be pretty light sanctions. President Trump came out and said they're way too light. Um, do you think the sanctions make a difference? What's your assessment? Not only did President Trump say they were too light, a whole bunch of us did yesterday and many Democrats, too. Uh, the whole world can see that Vladimir Putin is not going to have his behavior changed. Remember, Alex, uh, sanctions are a tool. They're not diplomacy. Right? They're, they're a tool of diplomacy. They're a tool to gain leverage to get the outcome you're looking for, to convince the other guy it's just not worth the candle. 
And what Biden did yesterday, uh, I promise you, Putin talked to his team back home and they were chuckling. They were chuckling because this was weak, wow. ineffective. And, and, and while the Biden administration said this is the first tranche, I, I can't figure out what it is they're waiting for, <laughs> for the remainder of American power and Western power. The Brits, the Germans, the Europeans sure. need to lead on this as well to impose real crippling costs on the Russian regime. Uh, uh, Bi- uh, Biden and Secretary of State Blinken who went around and acted as though America is back. That was the phrase that we kept hearing over and over again. Uh, but I'm struck by how they don't seem to be communicating with anyone. They don't seem to be talking to uh, Zelensky. They don't seem to respect Zelensky at all. And they, are, they don't seem to be talking to Putin and the Russian regime because they don't want to talk to Biden. Uh, so is, a Amer- is America really back right now? And is this atypical that there is no dialogue going on at the moment, it appears? Well, the first part of your question, Alex, is that I, I do fear that we're back, that we're back to the 1970s, <laughs> right? Hot, hot, back to back to high. And I, I, it's kind of funny, but it's it's sad uh, more than anything else. We're back to high energy prices, inflation, and autocrats around the world thinking that they can roll the United States of America. So in some sense, we we've seen this before, where you you don't have enough where labor supplies feel short and inflation is high and American people are suffering at home. Uh, as for diplomacy, Alex, d- diplomacy without the, the shadow of American power is fruitless. <laughs> you have to know that you have leadership in the United States of America that is prepared to defend the things that matter to us. And when we say defend, it's, this isn't about sending infantry divisions abroad. I was a young soldier <laughs> four years ago um, this is about the kinds of American power that we have seen so effective under President Reagan and in our time and service as well. We know how to do this. We know how to push back against these bad guys. And you have to establish that kind of model, that kind of peace through strength deterrence, or we'll see more of this. It won't just be Russia. It'll be the Chinese Communist Party in Taiwan. It'll be the Iranians, who I think are about ready to get a deal on a nuclear weapon by the end of this week. These are the kind of things that happen when America is weak. And for four years, well, we stood on the parapet of freedom and defended things that matter to people in places like Iowa. Uh, so what is the real contrast between your administration when you were Secretary of State and President Trump and uh, and uh, under Biden now? Because we are seeing uh, China making moves. We are seeing, of course, Russia making moves. It just seems like you're right that we're kind of back to the way things were. And that's not a good thing. We were realist, Alex. You said, what's the biggest difference? We didn't look at the world through a lens of fantasy and pretend, right? So some people have been critical. I've, I've talked about Vladimir Putin as being capable and cunning. Well, he is. And one should respect that. It doesn't mean you admire him. It doesn't mean you won't support him. It means that you don't run around saying, oh, no, this is the JV team. Remember, this is what President Obama said about ISIS. Right. You, you, have, to, you have to. I was taught when I was a cadet. You have to evaluate your adversary, your enemy, and then go crush them. You can't just pretend, oh, they're weak and we'll be fine. You need to take the serious measures that protect the American people. Uh, We didn't treat ISIS as the JV. We crushed the caliphate. We didn't treat Vladimir Putin as a stooge. We said, no, we respect him, and we're going to put sanctions on him, and we're going to establish deterrence. And we didn't say, oh, gosh, Xi Jinping, he's just nobody. We said, this is a serious threat, and we're going to confront it. (laughs) That's how how America has been successful for 250 years. We, We know this. If you said, what's the central difference is that we understood who the bad guys were and who our friends were. And we made friends with the Israeli government. We made friends with the Arab states and created the Abraham Accords. And when there was a bad guy, Chairman Kim, Xi Jinping, Vladimir Putin, the Ayatollah, we did our level best to impose real costs on them to protect people all across the United States. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, CavPAC.com. He's in Iowa, Des Moines, specifically with Senator Ernst and Ambassador Branstad. Thank you, Alex. Okay, you got it, Secretary. Thanks again for all the time. I'll talk to you next time. We'll be right back. back. So long. Next, Emily Jashinsky from The Federalist, where she's the culture editor, also runs the National Journalism Center. I'm on the board of that group, which is a great, important group, trying to train journalists to not be left-wing radicals. We get into all sorts of cultural and media issues in the interview. Let's play it. 
something cultural that is happening that has just been unbelievable and inter- connects directly to the Big Joey Biden uh, legacy, which is that Big Joey and Xi Jinping, who is now the chairman of the Communist Party in China, uh, but was previously the vice chairman, they together with Jeffrey Katzenberg uh, concocted a plan to essentially uh, th- try to get American movies into China. Um, since then, America has completely changed our beloved culture in order to appease China with all of their insane rules that are required for their for our movies to be shown in China. And a lot of these ideas include no adult themes and no nudity and no drugs and no violence, no ghosts and no gay people, uh, absurd stuff like no time travel. All this stuff were rules that we abided by to get our movies into China. And now China is kind of kicking our butt at the box office. They learned how to do it, and now they're kind of beating us. This seems like a disaster that is entirely Biden-induced, and aside from, you know, places like like on Breitbart, not being discussed at all that this phenomenon is happening, and it's certainly not being discussed in Hollywood. No. So I remember in January of 2020, I reported out a long story. I, you know, got comment from members of Congress and did a lot of research on it. And um, this was before, right before the pandemic, and wrote this long piece about all of it. And the quote I got from uh, somebody who had worked on these issues actually for a while, who was actually his name's Chris Fenton. He was he was trying to bring movies like Iron Man three into China. That was like his goal, <laughs> and he told me that it was something that nobody in Hollywood wanted to talk about, but everybody knew was happening. And and to the point that you just raised, I think it's even harder for us to describe and to to quantify and understand the influence of the Chinese box office on Hollywood, because they've also had to water down all of the storylines, everything. It's not just the censorship. It's not just even the preemptive censorship. It is just the dilution of the storylines so that they're also palatable to Chinese audiences. So like the jokes that are going to make Americans laugh also then have to make Chinese audiences laugh. And that's a really hard thing to do. Um, And it ends up just sort of making everything way more vanilla so it's even the movies that people don't think are going to get shown in china they are censored because studios don't want to get blackballed um for things that sort of go against the the chinese censorship uh very stringent uh rules oh and some of the stories are just are just unbelievable uh the the efforts that we've been willing to make in terms of the censoring our own art um, but again, show business is not show art, so I, I, that is part of it that's it's built in. But you would like to think that there's some level of integrity. And we've really crossed over in a lot of ways because we've redone the whole industry of, uh, of, of, of Hollywood to keep China in mind, to create these thrill rides that have this international appeal. And we are willing to censor ourselves in order to do that. But now it's not necessarily going to help our business because you see the box office uh, has been pretty disgraceful in America for the, the the trend has been horrific for the last five years or so, if not longer. And then now we're seeing China beat us at our own game in China. And what are we going to be left with? We're going to be left with, I mean, what, TikTok, which is also China, ironically, like we're just going to be sitting there like that's going to be uh, the centerpiece of our culture is going to be um, emojis on top of short videos of us cooking and doing a stupid dance. Is that where we're at, Emily? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it really is. And it feels, so, I mean, where we are right now feels so decadent. And if you look at, at least we do have a fairly booming uh, TV culture right now. Sure. But even so, it is governed by, and again, if you talk to people in the industry, they'll tell you the reason that your sitcoms don't feel as funny is because of the political correctness in Hollywood that makes it so you have quotas where you have to put less funny writers because they just have less experience to meet quotas in your writer's room. Um, So it's a complete mess. And a lot of the blockbuster Hollywood movies, like The Eternals, um, those are the, the budget for those movies is based on being able to make a ton of money in China. But China also has a quota of how many American films can be shown in China every year. And so you can have a budget that's massive and not get your film shown in China, which is what happens to the Eternals, and not be able to flip a, po- a profit on the movie. Sure. And that is, I mean, if there's anything that convinced, can convince Hollywood that this was a bad bet, 
you would think it would be that, um, but I don't know. So far, it just doesn't seem like they're, they've decided to reconfigure. Let's talk about The Eternal specifically, because this is an interesting example, because I think it was the first Marvel movie that had a gay plot line. I, and I, I've not seen many of the Marvel movies. It's not something that's up my alley, um, but I've seen you know a handful. I don't think there's anyone who hasn't seen at least a few of them at this point. Um, but the 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 so they had a gay plot line and the director is a Chinese woman who is has been a critic, though, of the Chinese regime. Uh, Chloe Zhao, I think, is her name. And so. Uh, do you think that either of those hurt the box office in China? Was China perhaps more uh, hostile to it? Or is it just that uh, we don't have the magic as much as we used to and China's kind of creating their own magic? China is creating their own magic for sure. And the Chloe Zhao story is incredible. It's basically she gave an interview to a very small, um, like, independent film blog publication 10 years ago when she was an independent filmmaker that said she grew up in China and there were lies everywhere. That suddenly disappeared from the website after it was announced that she was um, going to be the director of The Eternal. She also directed Nomadland. And that like it all came crashing down because of one sentence on a very small, like, industry publication from 10 years ago Mm. Uh, everything it it just disney made this calculation they said we're going to have a chinese american director and we're going to spend lots of money on it. it's going to get shown in china but china actually has learned so much from american filmmakers that the demand for american film is just being met by chinese directors who can also tap into sort of nationalism and all of that stuff so yeah again like disney made a crazy bad calculation in that case and you would think that they would learn from it but it seems as though they're still chasing um the ability to to show their movies to big audiences in china it's just such an interesting point that and and then disney missed it and uh, marvel missed it and um i you know I, I don't think they could publicly state any regret on this but they got a mediocre movie that did mediocre box office and i just how does that bode for the franchise the marvel franchise does not make a difference at this point because they did have a pretty big win i think this year with shang chi which did really well at the uh box office and it is it, it, and um spider-man is a marvel too right again i can't keep up that's a marvel thing isn't it the spider-man movie boom this year yeah, the Spider-Man movie did fantastically well. Absolutely. Yeah, so 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 there, I mean, does this, is this perhaps the beginning of at least some sort of a decline for the brand, or do you think it makes no difference overall with the, the, the Eternals kind of bombing? Yeah, I don't think it makes much of a difference because there's this risk aversion in Hollywood, and that's why we yeah. see the recycling of franchise after franchise after franchise, streaming, and I mean, even this even goes back to DVDs. They disrupted the industry so much. Um, because of, you know, pulling people away from the theaters. Our technology in our homes has gotten so much better. Um, and so the industry is just, you know, it's, it's obviously still struggling to adapt to all of this, but especially post-Netflix, especially post-streaming. So they don't have, they don't feel like they have a lot of money to throw around on, like, let's say a, a You've Got Mail or a Sleepless in Seattle. They're throwing money around on things that they know are going to get butts in the seats because it happens um, every time because there's this built-in audience and they can make it appealing to this huge group of people, kids, adults, and they can do that all. And so the risk aversion means that they are still really addicted to those big Marvel franchises. Um, and that's why we have just seen a huge uh, concentration of resources in those areas over the last you know, decade plus. Uh, Emily, where is you got mail and sleepless in Seattle? Uh, it's, I'm, I'm not going to I'm, I'm not going to look this up at the moment. But are those both Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, or is it only both Tom Hanks and one Meg Ryan? But that would be amazing. They're both sort of rom coms with Tom Hanks. Like they you sound very judgy about those. <laughs> They're both Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, actually. Yeah. <laughs> That's unbelievable. That, that That is quite a pull. And they're both from the 90s. Boy, we were so creative there in, in that time. <laughs> well, I mean, it's true. And those movies are getting more like there's a there's a movie released around Valentine's Day called I Want You Back on Amazon Prime. Yeah, yeah I, I noticed that. It, it looks like and it should it, be from 20 years ago. But is it good? Yeah, it, it is actually good. But these movies are getting made with lower budgets um, sure. for the most part and like fewer resources. And they're not the sort of, it's not where the top 
writing talent and directing talent is going uh-huh. for. Um, but you know, that's we're basically seeing this this mid budget rom com um, or even just comedy sort of boom on the streamers, and a lot of them are just thoroughly mediocre. But that one's actually really good, and that made me think. All right, maybe they are starting to experiment with this again, and uh, maybe there's some hope. <laughs> I I have to I ha- saw a preview for that. I was watching um, a reality TV over my wife's shoulder, and I saw a, a commercial for that. And I I thought that whose son or daughter made this one? Like which which it's a how did that how did this get made? I, and it might be great. It just seems so different than what Hollywood is putting out. I mean, everything has to be a, a thrill ride now. But it is interesting that I find that I'm going back and I'm watching shows now that are maybe ten or fifteen or twenty years old. Um, and there are things that I might not have liked when they came out. Maybe they were, you know, too raunchy or something like that. But, but I, I, I'm into it now because it's so refreshing compared to our woke puritanism that we're at now. And it seems like something that the right could fill this void to some degree. And yet we're not really, I mean, there's really not, there, there's really no strides being taken. Uh, there are some on the margins, but it seems like the right is still basically a zero in this regard, providing an alternative. Um, which if it sounds like I'm being critical, I am. Uh, and it just seems like we're, we're missing out a little bit And it does come from the financier class, not just from the art class because there are some creative people out there. I mean, the Babylon B is proven that, but it's, there's, there's just no effort to fund any of this. I don't think it's really, I mean, and yeah, it's really hard to do, but if you look at like Yellowstone and, and 1883, those sure. are not in any way corrupted by the sort of political correct mentality of, of Hollywood and their huge runaway successes. Um, and so, yeah, while it is, I mean, there's just really not a lot of infrastructure on the right. A lot of people know, like, I'm going to give my money here, I'm going to give my money there, and it's just sort of been a rhythm um, yeah. for the last 50-plus years, but there's no infrastructure to, to send it to entertainment projects. But um, I think, you know, the hope is really that Hollywood picks up and says, oh, we can we can make money off of these conservatives who want to consume movies in large numbers. And it's not even just conservatives, just You're normal Americans um, who don't want their art to be sort of corrupted by that mentality. And so I think slowly that might happen. I'm still pessimistic, but if you do, I think Hollywood was sort of, they had a snap back to reality moment when they saw what happened with Yellowstone, um, and they may slowly be adjusting and, and realizing. But can they even do that now that they've imported this like absolutely poisonous ideology into their business for so long? I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I will mention this for the third time on the show, which I try not to mention old news ever, but I'm mentioning this old news twice. Uh, one of the stories of the year is Tom Hanks' son, Chet, saying, I didn't grow up with a strong real male role model. His dad was Tom Hanks. Yeah. He's a, <laughs> Absolutely destroyed his dad. Well, he said that on like Instagram. <laughs> why? Why there is not a a entrepreneurial right wing person who wants to be part of entertainment who is not just getting a camera and pointing it at Chet Hanks and following him everywhere? It just shows you the the stupidity of so many of the people who are they. they you this is a, 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 you should give him a Breitbart column. Oh my gosh! Get, get the, we have a whole spinoff show, Chet Hanks Daily. I mean, we need to have this <laughs> video podcast. I'm so I'm so into this. I think we went to the same high school, though he's not on my high school's Wikipedia page. Uh, we were not at the same time. I think he's a little younger than I am. Um, but it's a uh, I I, I got to look into this. This is an outrage, and I'm. It's probably because it's vax dance. That's uh oh, that's, that's my right. half. It's that's my half tongue in cheek opinion. Um, so Hollywood supported this Louisville Black Lives Matter fund that bailed out Quintez Brown, uh, the anti-gun Black Lives Matter connected activist who uh, is charged for attempted murder of a mayoral candidate in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, some of the people like Lynn Manuel Miranda, who is the only director who's allowed to direct anything these days now in Hollywood. <laughs> Um, and I, I don't know why he has to direct everything, but apparently that's the new rule. Uh, Dan Levy from Schitt's Creek, uh, uh, Mayim Bialik, who is the Jeopardy host now, um, Janelle Monet, who's a singer, who's now an actress, and Kerry Washington, who's in a lot of stuff as well. I, I assume we've seen all of them come out and make huge apologies about the you know toxic environment that they've funded. Uh, all of them have probably started to do some real public penance here, I'm guessing, Emily. Maybe some light cancellations have taken place. 
Well, you know, they're so concerned about human life and, and the dignity of, of human life just yeah. across the board. So, yes, there's been an outpouring. No, of course there hasn't, uh, because yeah. they only care about it to the extent that it's convenient for, for them and their public relations strategy. Um, but it is it is pretty remarkable. I actually think the general lack of media interest in the story has been one of the biggest, um, I guess, omissions in the sure. media. In this, it's, We're early in the year, but I don't know. I, I, like, it's it's incredible. The story is huge, um, and it's nowhere. Um, yeah, it is nowhere, and this is typical of the media because the media now is just totally—it's not even. The, 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 as I noted in in my book, which you've been kind to say nice things about over the uh, uh, last few months when we've spoken, uh, the it is—they're not even trying now. To be fair, they're just completely propaganda at this point, and this is yet another example. It's a fascinating story that implicates some of the biggest stars who funded this stuff, and they don't—they're just no interest in it whatsoever because. It uh, would upset the apple cart. Um, speaking of upsetting the apple cart with the media, the producers, I thought, were joking that they wanted me to ask you about this. And now I think they're dead serious. Uh, I'm actually, they, they want me to ask you about how Joe Scarborough is blonde now. Um, all of a sudden he decided he's 60 years old and he thinks he needs to be blonde. Um, have you caught this and does this matter to you? And what is the logic behind him going blonde? Um, I am terrified because I haven't seen that yet and I really don't want to, but the image is already in my head. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't have an, an update or anything on that except to say that I'm sort of personally mortified by the possibility of having to see that. <laughs> and uh, and uh, who would have thought, uh, Emily, after uh, at this point in both of our careers that this would be the conversation we'd be having about Joe Scarborough's blonde hair? Uh, a 50 you know, year it's old important. Guy. It's important to keep keep track of Scarborough's hair because sometimes it's it, it is out of control and it speaks to I think maybe a personal a, a lack of personal judgment. So there's a there's an importance I think to to tracking the hair. It is important, and I do like to. Tr uh, I really enjoy that Beavis and Butthead meme where Mika and Joe somehow they look exactly like Beavis and Butthead when um, uh, uh, when I guess Butthead has to wear sunglasses. I, I wear eyeglasses. I mean, they really do look almost exactly the same height and hairstyle. And so I guess now it's just Beavis and a taller version of Beavis, which is going to ruin the meme for me. So I'm kind of annoyed by it <laughs> in 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 that regard. It's eerie. It's, it is eerily similar. Um, but yeah, and, and I have one more point, Alex, on the last thing you were talking about, which is that the, the media not covering stories like this one, it's how celebrities get away with this as their PR strategy. Correct. Um, and so it's, it's basically just like it's a, it's a total vicious cycle. And then because Joe Scarborough is, is blonde and isn't going to talk about it, celebrities can sort of get away with doing whatever the heck they want as long as they sort of think that it's, it's pushing the right woke buttons. Uh, Emily Jashinsky is with me, culture editor for The Federalist. She directs the Young America's Foundation National Journalism Center, which I'm a part of. Uh, she's a senior fellow at the Independent Women's Forum. Is that right? That's right. Absolutely. Okay, good. Good. So uh, two more I want to bounce off. You both of these are dead serious, uh, not as much fun as the prior conversations. Twitter suspended hundreds of Chinese propaganda accounts promoting the genocide game, but but they waited for the games to end. Um, this is an outrage. It's offensive. Um, um, generally negative on cancel culture at all. But if you're going to cancel people, why would you cancel them when it doesn't matter? Uh, it just a makes me want to throw something across the room. Uh, any thoughts? The, the Chinese bots are when you see them on Twitter, they're really interesting and sort of revealing of the the government's strategy um, and the way the government thinks it can it can change American hearts and minds and that it can sort of manipulate the feeds. I I mean I don't really I, Twitter doing this after the way that it treats. I mean you can't say that a man is a man on Twitter, but you can be the Chinese government, the boss of, of the Chinese government, and you ha can have an entire social media army that Twitter is very well aware of for the entire Olympics, and then they'll punish you after the Olympics. They'll kick you up after the Olympics. It is yes. so backwards. Um, but it does show that we've just sort of, if there's anything that they should be prioritizing as like, well, maybe this is polluting the platform, maybe it's not the best business for us, Maybe it's not the best for the users. You would think it would be um, state-backed bots, uh, but no, their attention is, is very busy um, on the, the heterodox, uh, the heterodox users who might want to actually talk about politics in an open way. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. They got to make sure folks like you and I don't grow our uh, follower base. That's that's a number one priority, not uh, uh, snuffing out Chinese propaganda. Not to say I care that much if they do that. I really don't. It's just a matter of if you're going to censor American mainstream conservatives, high priority Chinese genocide game bots, uh, low priority, not no priority, just low priority. Um, The last one for today, Emily, is I want to ask about the the. Uh, Democrats' latest moves to kind of uh, the, it, it, to try to solidify the woke capital games, where you've got uh, BlackRock leading the way, which Peter Schweitzer wrote a lot about in his book Red Handed, which people should all get. Um, but it is amazing how we are witnessing corporate America uh, enforce the wokeism, and this is going to con- have a real effect on capital. It kind of c- circles back to the conversation we were having about movies and uh, how and culture and how we have to fund it. It's not just about the arts, about the funding. Uh, increasingly, the money is shifting to the side of the woke. And this is very scary because even if we change hearts and minds, uh, people need to vote with their dollars, too. Right. And what's most scary about that is is the market is supposed to be a check. Um, you know, we have we have many different checks um, in our system of government. And if the market stops being a check on that because there is this um, oligarchical sort of desire to to manage the country not just financially but ideologically at the top because they do have such a concentration of of wealth that they think they can take a hit and they think they can sort of bludgeon the country into ideological conformity that's where things are terrifying and that's what i think when you see the canadian truckers is it good business for any of you know is it good politics for trudeau um, that's where things start to get scary. I mean, it looks like he has maybe half the country behind him right now. And so when you start to condition people to want that from the government and to want that from corporations, um, and you make the heads of the corporations think that's what people want, even if it's not as widespread as they think it is, then they can basically create that reality just by conditioning people and because they have so much control and so much money. And so they're happy to sort of enforce the rules of wokeness in the United States and then take tons of money from corrupt oligarchs like Russian oligarchs and sure. corrupt Chinese business practices that help China at, at a cost to the United States. Just look at what McKinsey has done. Um, you know, they're happy to do that sort of thing. Um, and that's, I think, what's what's really scary. Emily Jashinsky, really appreciate it. At Emily Jashinsky on Twitter. Appreciate the time. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks to producers Haley and Greg Eben. Robert Marlowe helps us pick topics. And thanks to all of you who have given us five-star review, told 10,000 friends and family members about the show, help us move up the charts. All that is immeasurably helpful. And uh, you deserve a special shout-out for that. All right. We'll talk to you tomorrow. I'm in love.